play a game. Is that a Unix book? Ah, uh, ah, uh, ah. Uh. You didn't say the magic word. Ah, uh, ah, uh, ah. Uh. The files are in the computer? We're only using a simple polyphonetically grouped 20 square digit key transpose from booster phonic form with multiple nulls. After very careful consideration, sir, I've come to the conclusion that your new defense systems suck. So the combination is one, two, three, four, five. So it's a code breaker. No, it's the code breaker. Welcome to another episode of the Cyber Tap. Well, Coming we're not in the studio. From our house. <laughs> yeah, from your from your house, my house. None of us can see each other. This is this is weird, Mike. It's strange. I'm used to seeing your bearded face across the desk from me. <laughs> I know I miss you, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's been a it's been a strange go here. I think uh, this is the new norm for most podcasts I listen to. They're being so what's the challenge remotely. you think you come across working remote? The the challenge for me, um, I'm stuck in a my dingy old unfinished basement, so I can uh, taking a shower get, in the morning, getting dressed. <laughs> well, I, I, yeah, I've actually I was just mentioning to some folks this morning that uh, I I'm saving like 45 minutes on commute time so i'm trying to use that for good purposes so i've been working out in the morning which i usually am too lazy or too eager to get out of the house to do it so <laughs> trying to get some of that time back it's the only difference i've noticed is that my coworkers want to get in my lap a little more often than when i'm in the office i, I hope cats. you mean cats. your cats and dogs <laughs> okay good yeah so this is a thing that i've seen now kind of trending out there is that pets are making a lot of appearances on video conferences and we have had a lot more uh <laughs> non-work related chats going on between our group which i think is yeah good. i've noticed that too yeah. i think that is good i think that's a kind of a, a positive outcome here is uh, i try to kick off the morning with the whole team and say good morning and you know if you weren't in the office when i was in the office i usually didn't speak to you necessarily so yeah there's <laughs> some there's some good there's some good coming from this i think so, Mike, I think we got a good about? episode. Yeah. What are we going to talk I think we about got a today? good – yeah. <laughs> I think we got a good episode. We're just talking right over each other. This is the problem yes. of not being able to see each other as we go. We could probably put video on, but we're more concerned about the audio quality, of course. So, so I want to talk a little bit about space cyber today, not cyberspace. Space cyber. What's the difference? Well, cyberspace, I looked this up because I was kind of curious. The term cyberspace was first coined in the early 80s. I think it was attributed, what I found, to William Gibson, who wrote Neuromancer, if you're familiar with that book. Um, coined that term in a short story, but then later used it in his book Neuromancer. Neuromancer is an interesting book. If you've never read it, I recommend it. Uh, you actually plug into the Matrix to get into cyberspace. And so this was obviously well before the Matrix movie came out. So I think there's some inspiration there. And it was one of the first popularizations of cyberpunk. Interesting book. So, yeah, that's cyberspace. We know Is that the, inspiration or intellectual theft. I don't know. I don't know. I, I feel like it's inspiration. I don't I don't know if there was any any lawsuits or anything about it. Maybe that's the, the whole idea that imitation is what do they say? Imitation that's is the flattery. For, yeah, I found his fortified or whatever. Yeah. So, uh, you know, cyberspace, the online world of computer networks and especially the Internet. That's Merriam-Webster's definition. But that's not what we're talking about. 
although we kind of are. But what I want to talk about today in this episode, Mike, is space cyber. And so space cyber is the idea that we have all of these space assets out there and we need to protect them from a cybersecurity standpoint. And we started looking into this topic recently and find and are finding that, you know, we're not doing a great job starting off now that we have all of these electronic communications, uh, you know, assets in space. And so I think that's what we want to get into today. It, there's a, a saying I said recently to another colleague of ours, you know, what's, how did, how did Star Trek start, Mike? It's um, space, space, the final, the final frontier. Yeah. These are what you, you said it earlier when these we were talking. Voyages of the Starship Enterprise and it's, continuing mission to boldly go or i don't know there's some other stuff in between but to to boldly go where no man has gone before i found i looked that up because i was kind of curious and so in 1958 there was a white house document that came out that was the introduction to outer space and it said the thrust of curiosity that leads men to try to go where no one has gone before and i just wondered if gene roddenberry got that gene roddenberry that. Little, yeah yeah picked up on that but what we wanted what we want to talk about is is space cyber and i think you know that he says you know space was the final frontier i think space cyber is going to be a new frontier so why don't we uh, unpack the news about this mike uh, so when you think about space when you think about nasa um and so as as we focus on you know security threats or we we focus on hacking uh incidents things like that um ludes back to you know this has been going on for a while and so that we, we found an article by npr that uh nasa had an unencrypted laptop stolen in march of 2011. Now, on that laptop was uh some iss command codes you know so that just shows you that there's a history you know that that nasa is a target rich um environment for cyber attacks and and other hacking uh incidents yeah. And Mike, the main article I wanted to, to kind of cover today in this Unpack the News segment came from the website, theconversation.com, if you want to check it out. The, the title of the article is Hackers Could Shut Down Satellites or Turn Them Into Weapons, and it's written by William Okoto, and he's a postdoctoral research fellow at University of Denver. But to kind of piggyback on what you were saying, Mike, the history uh, yeah, so the, the International Space Station code was stolen off of that laptop way back in 1998, you said? 28, two, 2011. Oh, 2011. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. I had in this article something from 98. That's, that's where I got confused. So in 1998, uh, there was an incident where hackers took over a satellite that I think it was um, a joint satellite uh, owned by Germany and the U.S., and it was called the Rosat X-ray satellite. They hacked into the ground station at Goddard Space Flight Center in Maryland, and they were able to manipulate the satellite. So they actually turned the the solar panels directly towards the sun, which actually is not a good idea, turns out, because it fried the batteries and it rendered that satellite useless. And it crashed back to Earth in 2011. So you can see why I got my dates messed up. So in 98, they hacked it, and it crashed back to 2011. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds very similar to the um, subject matter or the, the, the concept for the movie Real Genius. Yeah, <laughs> which is a wonderful movie, by the way. But they, didn't they use the satellite to pop popcorn? They, they did. They popped popcorn <laughs> in the house and blew it up. 
<laughs> yeah, which is a great movie if you've never seen it. Uh, there, in the article also talked about another actual multiple NASA satellites that were hacked in 2008, where hackers and the article says possibly kind of APT or Chinese nation state backed uh, work where they gained access to two satellites. Uh, NASA assets for for multiple minutes. So the first one they had control of it for about two minutes, and the other for about nine minutes. And it wasn't necessarily nefarious, but they did lose control of those, which is a big deal. And Was so that's it just a kind of, proof of concept hack, just seeing if they could do it. The article doesn't underlying factor. Yeah, the article doesn't get into too many details about those actual breaches. The one from '98 uh, that Rosat X-ray satellite, you know, talks about how they actually disabled the satellite, mm-hmm. which is obviously a major thing. But I think your article, Mike, on NPR and this one, I mean, this is this is a real problem. And I think the point of the this the conversation article by Kodo is suggesting that it's only going to get worse because the scale of space systems is on the rise. If you look right at the beginning of that uh, article, it says this paragraph, I'll read it. It says last month, SpaceX became the operator of the world's largest active satellite constellation. As of the end of January, the company had 242 satellites orbiting the planet, but it plans over the next 10 years to have 42,000. And this is only ridiculous number. I know 42,000 satellites. (laughs) I know space is big, but it feels like we're going (laughs) to run out of room up there. But okay. So, and, but here's the deal though. SpaceX is just one of um, multiple players in this, in this kind of new space race. So Amazon, uh, there's a UK based company called OneWeb. The article mentions it here. They're all trying to get thousands of satellites in orbit uh, and really, it's to kind of you know revolutionize. It says the article says a potential to revolutionize many aspects of everyday life, right? So it's bringing internet access to the remote corners of the globe. Which, by the way, Mike, I'm all for, especially now that I'm working from home. <laughs> you need more of that. <laughs> I need a little bit more internet access out here in rural. See if Indiana. they can get one of those satellites in geosynchronous <laughs> orbit right above your house. Yeah, I am right now recording this podcast via cellular uplink <laughs> and so uh if it if, if the sound gets a little wonky you'll know why and we could thank at&t for that um yeah so obviously the scale of systems it's it's huge it's going up and up and up and with with this becomes you know more opportunity for hackers to do the things that we talked a little bit about already mike you know they can shut down communication systems they can jam and spoof uh you know any signal coming back and that can start to impact critical infrastructure, you know, power grids, water, things like that. Anything that uses these satellite communication uplinks. So I don't mess with my TV signal. I'm fine. I hear you. I got, I got direct TV because again, once I'm out here in the middle of no man's land, um, yeah, so they obviously hackers can can take over, they can jam signals, they can shut down systems. But I think the worst of it, some of these newer satellites have you know thrusting capabilities where they can speed them up, slow them down, change the change their position, point them in new directions. And obviously, if someone was able to gain access to that function either through the ground station communication or directly with the satellite. They would be able to shoot that off into other satellites. They could try to aim it at the International Space Station or do something really, really terrible if they wanted mm-hmm. to. So they could actually turn these things into weapons is what this article was suggesting. But, Mike, the, I think the scariest part of all of this is that, you know, this space race is driving costs down. So they want you want to the, these companies want to bring the cost of these uh, these satellites 
as low as possible when you're launching thousands 42, of 42,000 plus. Yeah, for sure. Right. When you, when you have that, you're, tr- they're trying to bring the cost down, which means they're going with commodity parts. And this was a big, big thrust of this article, which was really interesting. So obviously it's to maintain costs, low cost. I mean, this brings in all sorts of supply chain issues because if you have, these are complex systems. So you're going to have multiple manufacturers bringing in systems as the article states. And then it, all of the the things that we see that are a threat in the supply chain. So you don't have to compromise just, you know, the, the one company that is, you know, building these things, you can compromise anywhere down that supply chain and then put, you know, bad code in or whatever it might be, or even a hardware that, you know, you could, you could manipulate some hardware specs or something like that to, to cause issues down the line. And that's, I think a really, really interesting, um, a really interesting thing that we've got to think about as we launch these thousands of space assets. So Mike, we're, I think you see, uh, some, some trends, some shifts. I think we're, the industry is starting to think about this a little bit more. I think you had an article that kind of talked about how one, one particular, um, effort to start to solve some of this. Yeah. Uh, I have an article from GPS world. Um, it alludes to the fact that there's some industry leading, uh, organizations out there, Booz Allen Hamilton, which may sound like a law firm because they chose the last names of each one of the co-founders Well, the original founder and the two co-founders. <laughs> yeah. So Booz is a, Booz is a big defense contractor. It's a, it's a staffing firm that was really popular in the worlds that I used to work in when I was doing, you know, space work for the government, interestingly enough. Um, but anyway, they, they've taken an effort to create a digital twin. Uh, of a GPS satellite in order to do some uh, hacking experimentation. Uh, they've already discovered some vulnerabilities of a particular uh, satellite that they um, simulated. Uh, and right. this was in response to a congressional mandate, which uh, is the National Defense Authorization Act for fiscal year 2016. Uh, listeners get comfortable. It's 585 pages, so I'll just go through it real quick. <laughs> <laughs> no. So, so anyway, yeah, there are... Yeah. Um, So anyway, this one of the satellites that they uh, were using for this design was actually built and launched between '97 and 2004. Uh, They're originally designed for designed to last seven and a half years, Uh, but the problem is that it's going to take a while for the decommission. So they're still up there. Right. Right. Well, and that makes them a a threat, right? So if they're still up there, even if they're not in use, they're going around and if someone could manipulate them, it could cause a lot of issues. So if you're looking for that article, Mike, you said it was GPS world. It's titled GPS satellite gets a digital twin to ensure cybersecurity. That was just, just published this, this month, March 18th, 2020 author was uh, Tracy Cozens. So if you're interested in that article, go take a look. Yeah. Thanks Mike. I think that's a a good example. So this is something that's up and coming. The other thing that we see is recently, uh, and this is a good segue into our next segment, the, there's a brand new ISAC, the Space ISAC, just launched, uh, pun intended. So we want to talk a little bit about ISACs. What is an ISAC and what's Purdue's role in ISAC? So I think this is a good chance to transition to our feature. So as I mentioned, there's a brand new Space ISAC. So what is an ISAC? I think is probably the first question some of our listeners are going to have. And an ISAC is an information sharing and analysis center. 
if you looked up if you look up on uh, nationalisax.org you can read a little bit more about them they were i guess they were you know first it has a word mike on this on this website it says the concept of isax was introduced and promulgated what a great word that's a yeah, that's I at know. least a, a dime right promulgated that's be the word day calendar there <laughs> yeah they were promulgated pursuant to presidential decision directive 63 signed may 22nd 1998 so isax have been around a while again their information sharing and analysis centers and the purpose of them is to help critical infrastructure owners and operators protect their facilities, personnel, and customers from cyber and physical security threats and other hazards. And that's right from nationalisax.org. And so you'll find ISACs, Mike, in basically any vertical that you could be interested in. So if you're an information technology professional, there's the IT ISAC. If you're in the financial industry, there's the financial sector ISAC. There's, I, I looked up, I was reading through them because I actually, you know, wasn't familiar with all of them, but there is quite a list, the aviation ISAC, the health ISAC, maritime ISAC, real estate ISAC, retail and hospitality. One of my personal favorites, the surface transportation, public transportation, and over-the-road over the bus ISAC. Okay, so there, the point here, Mike, is there's an, there's an ISAC for everything, and I think rightfully so, especially considering even the articles we read and the examples we talked about. They've launched a space ISAC. And so, Mike, the question I have for you, who is the first university to join the space ISAC? Well, first, first I need to give a little insight into my, my search habits because the first ISAC uh, that the Google search uh, comes up for me is Isaac Haas. It was a former is- Purdue <laughs> Isaac Haas. I totally didn't catch you. Isaac <laughs> <laughs> yes. Haas. Yes. The former big man center for Purdue basketball. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, you alluded to that Purdue is the first university to join the space ISAC. Uh, interesting enough, there's some other members, and one of the members is the Booz Allen Hamilton. Of course, yeah. Which is a nice little segue from our previous article. Um, but it's the only space dedicated to ISAC, as you mentioned. Uh, it's relatively new. Uh, because, is, yeah. like you said, this is an industry that hasn't had a lot of exposure into the cybersecurity aspects of it. Um, and, of course, everybody knows, if you know Purdue University, you know we are the cradle of astronauts. And, Matt, I yes. know this is a topic you love to talk about, so why don't I you give us some facts and figures. Yeah. So if you're not familiar with Purdue's history in space, obviously uh, – well, not obviously. Maybe you don't know that the first man to walk on the moon was Neil Armstrong, Purdue alumni. The most recent person to walk on the moon is Gene Cernan, also Purdue alumni. So Purdue has had 25 astronauts in program. We have three current astronauts in program. We have had over 47 space flights. That's a third of all space flights have had uh, a Purdue astronaut on them. And more than 10 times we've had multiple Purdue astronauts on a single space flight. Recently, we, the university live streamed a, uh, a, an astronaut receiving an honorary doctorate on the international international space station. So yes, Mike, I love talking about <laughs> Purdue space legacy. So yeah, we, I think it's a good fit for us. We're really good in cyber. We talk a lot about it on the show and we have an incredible history in space. And I should say that, uh, one of the current astronauts in program, um, is part of the, uh, Artemis missions. So we may get another one of the Purdue astronauts, uh, to, to step foot on the moon and she could be the first 
first female on the moon, which would be an amazing thing. That would be a good accomplishment, yeah. yeah. Just to get back out there, being really. Yeah, I think people don't quite realize what comes from space like so i talked to or space missions and the exploration of space and so things like velcro i believe and i could be totally wrong but i think velcro is one of these inventions i think you're right from nasa space program (laughs) oh man if you say tang in space i immediately get a coneheads quote (laughs) if you remember the old coneheads skit from snl right tang astronauts to the moon (laughs) (laughs) That's good stuff. So, yeah, again, love our space history at Purdue, and it makes sense for Purdue to be part of this new space ISAC with the mission of trying to share information and do analysis around space cybersecurity efforts, so space cyber. The uh, There's a group called uh, the National Cybersecurity Center, and it's out of Colorado Springs, and I've had the great pleasure of getting to know some of these folks and working. This is where the space ISAC is being managed out of. And so, Mike, it's interesting. Purdue uh, CyberTap actually is getting to work with some of these folks in this space, and we're really, really excited about uh, the potential for upcoming events and training. And uh, all It's all top the secret, flag. though. We, we can't share much. <laughs> we can't share a lot of what we're what we're working on yet. Obviously, it's an information sharing center, so the information will be out there, and we will be sharing. We hope to have a part in um, a conference later this year where we might be able to do some space-based asset capture the flag type uh, games and scenarios. We're really excited to be part of that. So George and I, everyone that listens to this podcast knows George well. He and I have had the great pleasure of getting to talk to some of these folks. And in fact, I was going to go out and visit them in Colorado a couple of weeks ago, right as the, the, the travel the country lockdown started. happened. <laughs> the country lockdown and the travel industry started um, really feeling the effects of, of COVID. So uh, that that trip is postponed, but I'm looking forward to it in the future for sure. So the space ISAC, it's just another one of these ways uh, that I think this idea of space cyber and the need to protect uh, space assets from a cybersecurity standpoint is developing. And and Purdue, of course, is excited to be involved. So if you want more information, there is a site out there. Um, do I, ha- I do have that somewhere, don't I? Do you have that the one? Up, space the space ISAC, is that what you're mentioning? Yeah, so it's the s-isac.org. S- Correct. And you can go out and, and check out more information. You'll see that uh, Purdue University is listed there as one of the members. Uh, and we're, and again, excited to be part of that. I think that, that pretty much wraps us up, Mike. It does. So we talked a little bit about the need, you know, and unpack the news. We thank the, the authors of those great articles that are bringing light to the issue of cybersecurity in space. And I feel that I am in some kind of weird alternate universe myself, not being able to <laughs> leave my house <laughs> and recording this podcast in cyberspace, <laughs> probably touching sh- some satellite along the way. Who knows? <laughs> probably. <laughs> yeah, well, we we still don't have any laugh tracks, and I don't know that we need them because neither of us are that funny. We're not that funny. We, we're, we're funny in well, our own heads. No, we, that's right. So we had to carry this one on our on our own. We didn't uh, attempt to bring in any guests. We're going to look at doing that well, in the future. We, we, we tried to get our, our uh, social distancing. We tried to get our technician and our executive producer to be involved, but they uh, bowed out. 
Well, in truth, could, I could just tried to make pressure. them do the entire thing. It's true. <laughs> I, I just said, okay, Mike and I are just going to sit back and relax. You guys carry the show. <laughs> this is a tough one, Mike. I, I don't like not doing it in the studio, but um, I think it's an important topic. We definitely want to bring it. There's a lot to talk about. And, yep. uh, you know, we're glad we could do it. If, if you liked what you heard, we'd love for you to subscribe wherever you uh, listen to your podcast from. Subscribe, follow. And as always, Mike, you can reach out. Cybertap podcast at Purdue.edu. We would like to get one. I still response, don't think we've please. got just one. I know we've had over six hundred. We've hard. had over six hundred downloads. No email, so we're we're looking Somebody's for a first email. So let us please <laughs> just send us a, a smiley face. It doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be a, a brain busting topic. <laughs> we're alone in our basements right now, and we just need human contact. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thanks, Mike. Thank you.